Welcome to episode number three of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you find a career you love, start a business, and generally crush it at life. I'm Justin Gordon, your host and an MBA student in the class of 2020 at the USC Marshall School of Business. And I've had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness and now Just Go Grind. In this episode, we have Travis Pyan, one of the managing partners at Clark Toys, the company I used to work at for two and a half years before deciding to get my MBA. We cover a lot in this episode, starting with his internship with the Milwaukee Bucks, talk about him selling sports figures on the weekends, making money that way, how he got his MBA was working full-time during that, how he actually decided to start Clark Toys, even making a big bet of $25,000 in product. So buying $25,000 worth of product to kind of get the business jump-started, that was a big risk he took, but it's one of the things he felt he had to do. We talk about his big wins with Ugly Sweaters, Joe Boo, Bartolo Colon, Gosh, there's just there's just so much. It was a great episode. I'm excited for you to listen to it. Check it out. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind, starting with as little as a dollar per month, literally a dollar per month. If you support the show, I would very much so appreciate it. And lastly, please do leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Travis Pine from Clark Toys. Welcome to the show, Travis. Thanks for having me, Justin. You know, we've had a lot of different conversations over the last few years about a number of different things, but I want to go back to college. So when you were in college, were you thinking of starting a business? What was your mindset back there? You know, kind of going to MBA, all that. But in undergrad, what were you thinking? Yeah, while I was an undergrad, there I had plenty of classmates that were already dead set on, on owning their own business, starting their own business. And that, that wasn't what I was thinking. I really, uh, I'd always been a, a toy collector, a yep. card collector, <laughs> and I still had in my mind that I, I would get in the industry. And so I wanted to complete my undergrad and see where that, that went. Um, and then during, but I also worked at the Wisconsin Innovation Service Center uh, right away as a, so, well, as a sophomore and through, through being a senior. And working there, the so it was all these entrepreneurs and inventors coming to us with ideas, and then uh, students did a lot of the legwork, initial research. Students, both undergrad and grad students, at at UW Whitewater. Yeah. And that really got me thinking a lot about outside I mean, some of the stuff, uh, you know, bioremediation and just stuff you never even thought of. Being <laughs> like, well, there's not only an industry, but there's products and there's things that are really expensive. People making a lot of money and things you've never even thought about. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of my early projects there was a, it was a, it was a device. I mean, we signed non-disclosure agreements, so I can't, I can't even talk about it. But the device was really simple, and and then it was something that you know was carried at, at Best Buy, Staples, etc. Similar things were, and I was like, really, this guy wants to do this? Like, why? This is crazy. But actually, I it was my first project, so I, I dug up. Ever, I didn't, and I was very insecure at that time. But like, I got this is a cool job. You know, there's a, patent searches and all this stuff. Make the most of it. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I got to do that well. And and I and this is why going while going to school full time in your sophomore year. So you know, I was ju- already jug- juggling that job, that internship, and uh, and it was a paid position. And it, I ended up working there over summers. So did a lot of a lot of projects while working full time over summers. Yeah. So that ex- it, that really exposed me to that 
world of like starting ideas and patents and trademarks and just entrepreneurship How the world works in that world. yeah so i started to think bigger already but not like i didn't think oh I, that's the thing even when you're doing the research you kind of have that negative tilt towards new ideas like, yeah that the world around you kind of seems to have as you pitch anything right. like oh well i'm sure that's been done someone's this, done that already oh, oh for yeah sure, they, all like, the well how are you going to do this how would you do why would you do that and that, so but those are some of the same questions you would ask when you saw an idea because that was idea 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 after time yeah and some things were you know farther along the process but back to my first project i dug up everything i could and thought still this felt like because it was such a simple item it felt like wow i don't know and i i even like almost pulled an all-nighter to finish that on my own time turned that in and got great feedback from my supervisor at the time yep and that just like put me at ease to be like wow all right you know She's like, that's some of the best, as your first project, some of the best work right. I've seen, you know, and, and that gave me a lot of confidence to go right into the, the next next project as, in terms of, like, my ability or even research. Right. And then... Confidence boost, kind yeah, of. Yeah, definitely. And then, I mean, it just kept going, like, project after project, but I still, even being exposed to that wasn't like, oh, man, one of the, I got better ideas than these guys. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch something. I'm going to start a company. But even though there were, I had those classmates doing that, so I, I really thought I was going to get somehow in the in the toy industry um or collectible industry okay and so i wanted to finish my undergrad and see what happened uh then i got an internship uh with the milwaukee bucks in my senior year and that turned into a paid position as well and so i was a free game night intern uh more on the sales side and then i was a paid position with uh, community relations and so there was you know but they didn't have like uh, tuition reimbursement for uh, the mba program yeah. at all anyway so I, I really wanted a job with some tuition reimbursement to get my MBA because if I wasn't going to get right away in the industry um, and there wasn't necessarily much in, in you know, um, southeastern Wisconsin yeah. in the industry. Sure. Uh, so it was like, okay, without, you know, moving for a job or whatever, I just like, okay, as long as I'm getting my MBA, I'm still working towards my goals. And yeah. so I kind of put off like really trying to find that perfect job in in the industry i mean i did apply to a few places and had a had a lead uh, out of college you applied like yeah right out of, out, of, out, of, out of undergrad and then okay, I, yeah. I even had a lead uh, that was in the collectible industry but would have required the move and just and so i was able to uh, uh keep working and uh well took took a job at h Bosch manufacturing company yep. in the uh, seating industry so it was still product so i wanted to get that product experience versus more of an entertainment service industry i yeah. i, I want to always zeroed in on product i thought i'd be a product manager you know eventually uh, wanted that product experience so the manufacturing side and and marketing position there uh let like and going for my mba at the same time uh then things started to shift. So MBA, you start to get, there's more people do already doing their own right, thing. different group of people. Yep, involved. and I'm still involved with, uh, like gave some presentations for the Innovation Service Center, and you just start to still, your thought process prog- progresses versus just getting that job. And then, yeah, mostly through the projects in classwork, once you started started dabbling with websites and different stuff, some sometimes for class. Yeah. In in, in grad your, school. In your gra- yeah, in grad. Yeah. So school, at that yeah. it was at that point where I shifted, and once I w- was doing some things that were valuable for my employer, because I was going getting my MBA, which involved dabbling with you know their website at the time and and you you know uh, working with a vendor to launch a new website for H Bostrom. That's where I was dabbling with all the resources available and thought uh, I could launch my own website and. and 
do something. So I had, I definitely knew all of a sudden I was going towards the web. Already. Became more real at that point in time when you're in, in your yeah. NBA. So then, uh, and because then I was rapping, and the ter- real turning point was that. So I, I'm working full time getting my MBA, and that you know that was difficult. I completed in like two years while working yep. working full time and. You know that's hard. That's, that's tough. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> uh, it's it's like you get home, you know, not ten o'clock, and then you know at, at at work we started at seven in the morning, and and then you got night class, and there's a lot of things. I was, I mean, I was studying at well, I take a, a lunch break in the lunchroom, and you have your textbooks and we're in stats class. No and, time yeah. to waste, basically, while yeah. you're in MBA. Yeah, MBA level economics and all that stuff. Did you so even going back to high, uh, not high school, but college? You said like your second year, so like your your sophomore year of of undergrad. You had the Wisconsin Innovation Center, so that kind of gave you some ideas. Did you think about in high school, even like, oh, one day maybe I'll start a business? Like, well, I'm, take me well, back. Even, so like, in even high, then. in high school, and my my current business partner Clint, and and myself, we in high school every weekend we were selling at card shows. So we were selling cards, but we were we were the only ones selling uh, sports figurines at the time, which were called starting lineups. Yeah, we were the only ones selling them. Everybody else was selling cards, but we were already kind of making business moves because in high school everyone had the same cards but we were the only ones selling the figurines so we didn't have to compete on price so you walk around and everybody just look for the cheapest card yeah, and you got it over there if you give me this one but we didn't have to bargain on price so it was like already it was like control the product control the price already back in high school already, <laughs> already back in high school and then okay so that led to then college and you had that and then we, I mean, what were you thinking for the MBA though for the at, in terms of like you, you go from undergrad you have some ideas of like business obviously the high school experience with the cards and everything uh the collectibles uh, the actual sports figures but what were you thinking in terms of what the mba was going to give you at that time when you're in like an undergrad i don't i don't know at the time that it was it was that specific it was going to be it was more in some ways it was a competitive thing i knew there were other people with an mba uh, okay. or i knew other people went directly some full-time sure and i it was a it was competitive but it's because i wanted certain jobs i had in mind I wanted and felt like if other people were getting their MBA and then if I wasn't in the job, the perfect job in the perfect industry for my taste, then at least I was accomplishing that along the way. So it was more that I don't think it was zeroed in and this is going to get me this or I'll be able to play for this position. But then that was very key in the experience of like, wait, you know, giving those presentations, gaining confidence. Uh, you know, we had like an independent study where we presented at Northwestern and all those things. When you start to do all those things, and even some of them are all around business plan. You get to a, just a different level, like you do marketing plans and business plans in undergrad. But in grad school, they're just they're just better. Your your group projects <laughs> are better. Are your group projects are better. Your 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 teammates on those projects are, are better. better. And you know we had some cool stuff with some of the good universities around us, uh, exchange programs and stuff that with like uh, UW and Madison and other. Uh, and so I was involved with some different projects that just lead you to to that path where undergrad, you know, didn't get me there. It just put me over the edge. Yeah, uh, just had that So the MBA, without a doubt, getting my MBA was key to starting my own business. I was not there necessarily without it. And then even the Bucks, the Bucks internship, I've always been kind of curious about this. How did you decide that was what you wanted for internship? In, that was undergrad, mm-hmm. right? How did you decide that you wanted the Bucks? And then how did that even go about getting that internship in the yeah, first place? Yeah, I mean, that was just, and that's the thing like coming from a small town and graduating class of 75 yeah. you go to even a smaller small school like UW Whitewater uh, you know confidence is one thing like, yeah. you just have to gain the confidence that like well, well everybody wants hold a, my own. a Bucks internship or whatever but like I was probably the I didn't, without knowing it like one of the biggest Bucks fans on campus but it, it didn't matter like I I um 
I just saw they posted on one of the bulletin board, like not a digital one, an actual like bulletin board. <laughs> what are those? <laughs> yeah. So what are those? <laughs> I, I saw it and applied, got the call, and uh, my way to that interview was a disaster. Um, <laughs> oh, God. My car broke down. <laughs> you know, it's in college, and I didn't have a new car. A car breaks. Car Literally, like the alternator goes out in the car on the way there, and I'm in a suit. And then have to I get and this is a small road in between Whitewater and downtown Milwaukee, and actually, uh, car breaks down. Get a ride back into Whitewater and super like nervous. So I leave super early. It's like a 40 minute drive anyway, and I drove that 40 minutes each game night and and during the day uh, to go into work. And um, so I get back into I get back into Whitewater and get a friend's car. And just leave the other car at oh, the side of the road. Jesus. <laughs> Literally just left it. Didn't worry about towing it or anything. Like guy gets his internship. It drove this right interview. past interview. with my friend's car. Drove right past it to get to the interview. I'm late for the interview, and this was like because I wanted it bad. I wanted to you know get or this for internship bucks, for yeah. the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, I remember it so clear. And then you go into the Bradley Center, and you know you're already like, oh my god, but late and. Uh, the who would end up being my my boss for the internship I was like didn't didn't say anything um i actually apologized right behind i'm like i'm sorry i'm late there's absolutely no excuse to be late for an interview i know that i'm like <laughs> god's honest you my car broke down and i left so early that i still only got here five minutes late i'm like that's was, incredible yeah and uh prepare ahead of time yeah. get there early <laughs> regardless, regardless of what you're doing yeah so that was uh, that was crazy but then uh, and he and he joked later, um, like, I was like, yeah, you, I even said to uh, the, the front front desk assistant, like, yeah, my, my one o'clock is late. Like, this, you know, there goes that one. You know? Yeah. But, but then he, he said, I just knew you were you were telling the truth for one. I could just see it. And, and then I even, he at, for that interview, took took me up to a suite going over your resume. And, you know, you're looking, the court, the court lights are on, but the Bradley Center's empty. And you're in the suite for an interview. Wow. And that was that was cool. And then, you know, got the call that I got that internship, and then that that was a really cool experience. And that was when the the Bucks were really they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals around that time. And yeah. The the big three and then the big three. and that so that was quite. I mean, that internship was uh, a great experience. And uh, on on the first day for that internship, I met one of my one of my good friends to this At day. Internship. And he's he's. Uh, you know, an executive at a large, large company now. But when I think back to where we were then, just interns. <laughs> and because they told us to wear to show up uh, game night, they show us that they just tell us wear a white dress shirt and tie. They hadn't yet given us like uh, these bucks little sweaters that yeah. you wear wear over over your t- uh, shirt and tie. So I I wasn't sure where to go. I, like, do we really go in where the where the players go in? I wasn't quite sure because the instructions weren't that clear. I just doubted that we're supposed to like. Go go around the corner and go in where the and we're gonna be on some list and then we got badges that day but to go in that way well, sketch you're like oh, yeah it's it, not real like, not sure I'm not gonna just follow where the players are going in and but I saw another uh, I knew it was an intro right away because he had a white shirt and tie and it was windy as heck and his ties just flapping in the wind and I'm like I zeroed in like all nervous about where I'm supposed to go be in the wrong place being late and I see I see him and uh, go across the street. I'm like, are you an intern? And we've been friends to this day and talk we'll talk weekly. But I think about, like, you know, <laughs> him having a family and, and being a, an executive now for a large company and, the, like, how far we've both come from that moment because it's just frozen in my memory. I still remember that. That's the first time I met him. 
and uh, so that whole internship was just because then we'd like go you know work the games and then go out after the games and just like as it was a, a crazy experience as an intern on the bucks what were you actually doing back then like it were, you're basically you were on the sales side. You were just so, a fill-in for the like season ticket booth kind of to, okay. to try to sell people on season ticket packages. Okay. So it was a, a I think sa- I still get calls to this role. day oh, sure. from people like like I've moved yeah, from I Milwaukee. Do. <laughs> I do, and I was like, yeah, you know, I interned for the Bucks, and I, I yeah. talked a little bit, but I'm like, no, I don't live there anymore, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy it. You give them a few minutes, and you're like, well, yeah, I'm not actually definitely. there. Like, wow, you should have told me that in the beginning. Maybe I would have gone to someone else next on the list. But so yeah, that internship. Then you do the MBA. When did the Clark Toys thing, or like, what was your job after that? Like, what was the timeline? Uh, so back to MBA. working full time in HR Bostrom and getting the time, uh, getting my MBA while working full time. Yeah, that, that was what I was getting to in terms of like that was really difficult, but I, it was coming to an end. I only had like uh, two, two or three credits left, and for me at the time, for all the time I was spending doing both things, I was like, well, what am I gonna do with that time? Yeah, like, and that really was like, and, and then already I really like I'm gonna. Have, like a time to read what I want to read, not read for class. And I got motivated by that thought before I'd even graduated. So I had started talking to my current, still my current business partner, uh, Mike, who, who owned uh, little Caesars uh, pizza chains at the time. And we, we met working together at little Caesars when he was a store manager. And I worked a, a ton over, even in summers with college at, at Little Caesars and a ton with Mike. So we always talked about all kinds of business ideas and things. But knowing that he owned the, the stores and had done it himself, yeah. I really leaned on him with some ideas. And we tossed several ideas back and forth. And then it just so happened at the same time uh, McFarland Toys was getting acquiring all the last two of the four licenses you know, between the four major sports, uh, NBA, MLB, NHL, and NFL. And they had already re- released uh, some baseball figures, and they were off and running. And they had, like, superior quality than the starting lineups. They had just amazing quality at McFarland Toys. And knowing those licenses, so we were watching secondary market prices really closely and saw that it was it was heating up. So then... I mean, I remember at the time doing like an Excel spreadsheet and like, if we buy these at wholesale for this, and even if we sell this many, and then, you know, there was chase figures and other stuff going for a lot of money. We're like, if you get one on 10 of these chases and you sell that for more, and we literally went through that exercise and we're like, oh, but that's all we would make. At the end of the day, like, even if we did moved all of this, we were like disappointed in the results of the spreadsheet, but we said at the time... Well, it'll lead to something else. So let's start. It was the, it was this thing we, we knew the most about Mike. As a sports fan, I knew a ton about sports. I knew a ton about how the starting lineup hobby went. And and we said, okay. So then, um, and I had actually uh, applied at McFarland Toys and followed up on that application. Oh. <laughs> but didn't get a call. Didn't get a, uh, I did talk to someone, but just wasn't, I wasn't going to get a job there didn't at that through. time. Um, and so I'm like, okay, let's let's sell the product. And we, I talked to a, a rep at the National in Chicago, uh, National was Collectors National? Convention. Yep. And talked to this like basically was a sales rep at at the booth, and they had all the figures up, and and knowing they were getting the last two license, and um, that that Hasbro had moved on partly because of uh, the Star Wars trilogy, like they weren't 
going to dabble in the sports they with the Star Wars, the new Star Wars trilogy coming up. They weren't going to put any resources into it, so they dropped all four licenses. And McFarlane picked them all right up with a superior quality product. Yeah. We saw that the market the market had started to heat up for it, so we were pre bubble. Yeah, and we got the direct account. Um, you know, Mike had an established business already, so that helped us. That's like they helpful. they tried to get us to go to. Uh, a wholesaler, and we said no. We we what we want to be direct, and yeah. we have we have the, we're, these are the things we're gonna do, and why even you know we just launched a site or whatever. So technically, then because of my work at H O Bostrom, I had started to gain enough web knowledge to do what I needed to do, and had actually without using a developer had launched everything we needed through, and it wasn't called the cloud back then, but it, the was cloud was there. No cloud, yeah. And, 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 yeah. yeah. So the cloud, <laughs> the cloud was there, but nobody called it the cloud. So we didn't need servers. We already knew, and that was what was so exciting about doing business in that at that time. So people were already down on like the dot com bubble because it was 2001 when we're trying to do all this stuff. So the, everybody's down. Like, You're gonna start a dot com? It's like, well, the, yeah, the dot com, like you know, pet stores that didn't exist selling pet, like is doesn't mean like people aren't gonna shop online, etc. But it, what was so exciting to me was that people were first getting high speed internet at the time. Uh, so you actually had more people getting, you know, had cable in their homes and then were getting the high-speed internet. So it wasn't all dial-up anymore. And then yeah. knowing we we could do that as well, so we could reach the cloud through exactly. high-speed internet at a, an affordable price without dial-up. So we were able to make the website updates, upload the photos, everything through the cloud. No servers, you know, had our web address, had everything going. And before we even had the direct, direct account, so I actually, the very first product, uh, bought from Walmart and Toys R Us, yeah. put it on the site, and everything I bought sold on the site, Jeez. our very first order. So you made profit off of each one? or did you just Yeah, at a, at a slight you markup. A slight markup, a yeah. slight markup, but not just to see if it would move. Yeah, see if you could We're not worth something. doing at those prices, buying them at retail, obviously. So well, you, yeah, want, right. you want the direct account. So then that was a test. It all went, showed them. So even that, that it was up, but that we had sold this many of whatever already, so give us the direct account. So, w- w- to be clear, the direct account as opposed to the wholesale, what advantage were you getting from that? Was it, what was the pr- do you remember the pricing difference? Or like what kind of advantage you were getting going direct? I don't or? even think the pricing difference was was even that great. It, I mean, it's more like just even principle. Like, like yeah. I I don't want to be directly. I don't want to I don't want to ship it to the wholesaler and then ship to us. Like I wanted the product as fast as the wholesalers are getting it, etc. And uh, so we got the direct account, but we had to, they made us commit to past product that wasn't as hot to get the football, which was heating up. And we, so we got the slow moving baseball in, and that was the first like financial commitment in start in starting the business. And leaned on Mike for that, and I remember him uh, before we even had a business, you know, writing a check for something like three thousand dollars to to spend on our first product. Yeah. And I remember. Uh, like we celebrated when I I wrote him a check back for that that loan yeah. from the company, like but we we paid, we paid, paid that off. off. But it happened. It started to happen fairly quickly because we launched in October two thousand two. Okay. The October site was up live. The site was live then. Yeah, and we had the first Christmas. We got through and we're selling out of almost everything we had as the hobby was booming, and but but it was our first. It was like mild numbers, whatever. And then but the hobby stayed hot, and by March. We had started like pre-booking the fall football, and we had uh, like that March was a fourteen thousand dollar month. I remember very clearly. And we're like, because eh, 'cause I'm working full time, trying to juggle all this. Like, oh, at what point? That's when it occurred to me, like, oh, at what point can I quit my job? Because yeah. we had done fourteen thousand in business in a month, in which a month. is nothing now. But like at the time, it, it seemed like uh, like we were on our way. Well, right. And then after, then uh, the next opportunity came. Uh, 
Well, I should backtrack. We yeah, actually have questions. Hold on. Yeah. So, he's, okay, starting the company in 2002 with the website and everything, and you mentioned li- listing stuff on the site and getting some sales and everything, but I have all about the details as well. How are you getting those customers initially? Yeah, and this, this plays into my MBA a lot. So, we were learning about different the different advertising on like the cutting edge stuff but yes. like Google AdWords had really just started so you know and you're not dealing with mobile back then at, really at all at all so the AdWords in what for McFarlane ter- key terms as McFarlane is heating up and becoming like the hot product n- no one was buying the AdWords yeah no one was paying no for one. Google so ads so I remember very clearly those. putting our first ads up cost five cents a click the minimum there's no other bidders <laughs> for those of you who don't know five cents a click on google adwords is insane nowadays um but that's awesome that you guys started with that you're right and one of the things one of the things you could buy was just that like so on every package in this hot hobby at the heating up hobby at the time is is mcfarland.com so we bought McFarland, you were able. They've tweaked the the algorithms and the rules and different stuff now. And and now, if you if you actually type McFarland.com in a in a in the address bar, it'll take you right there. Right, it doesn't correctly. show search results. That wasn't the case at the time. So what happened was uh, four or five cents. Everyone who and obviously Google has has realized that since like, hey, we have so many people typing the address in in the uh, in the search bar um, that they just made it one. But people kept right. searching. I shouldn't say address, but they, they were searching McFarland.com in the search bar. Yeah. The address bar at the time was a very different thing. Sure. So it would take you to search results. So if you, so we kept we just bought McFarland.com, but the way it it looked on AOL, it was like our search result in versus Google where they tried to keep them in the background. Yeah. They were serving these ads up on AOL, and so there's a lot of people still up on dial-up at the time. <laughs> Lots of people using AOL. So it just the way they put it right across the top looked like that's the place to go. It was like the site itself. Yeah. Or basically. that is McFarland. I mean, and we had some confusion early on because of that fact. But we gained while the hobby is ballooning. Well, it's I mean, hot. It was hot. Everyone was come finding us that way at five cents a click. And we turned. We did a good enough job to keep a lot of those to this day as return customers. So that five cents has just paid over and over and over from initially when the hobby was hot, acquiring those customers. And so that was key before that for that. That was after that first Christmas. That had nothing to do with the first Christmas. It yeah. probably had something to do with that first $14,000 month in March of 2003. And then we were off and running, buying all the terms and doing all kinds of stuff. And then we were coming up organically, which was like, I remember um, the first time I pulled up, like I, I searched McFarlane and saw us on the homepage, like organically yeah. without paying for it. Right. Just... I like, like oh water my God. water over my eyes like is this? our site is on the homepage uh, and yes at the time when the hobby was was hot that all was already ranking then exciting did, did you know so you knew you wanted to do I guess paid traffic was the thing you knew you had to do initially to get customers like there's no other way around it pretty much at that I, time I don't know if I even thought about it that way it was just like I we had looked at it for class so I'm like I'm gonna oh, try of this class for sure. I actually uh, saw a a presentation of a guy um, around that same time. I don't know which one exactly came first, but with, uh, with the whole Furby craze for Christmas, yeah, he had um, he had bought keywords for Furby, but nobody could get Furbies, uh, so he wasn't selling a Furby. He was he literally sold a book that he hadn't written yet called How to Find Furbies. Oh my! So gosh. his he bought all the Google AdWords 
around Furbies, yeah. and his book was titled, and all it led you to a page to buy a book called How to Find Furbies, and filled his whole living room, house, garage with the books once he actually wrote it and shipped it, but just used the AdWords for the hot thing. Jeez. And that was where I was like, okay, I like I was zeroed in, right. zeroed in on the details. Like, okay, what, what? And it, you know, it was luck with the AOL thing, and that you know, obviously was necessarily ran its course at some point as well, right. as the five cents a click turned into in a hot hobby. Quickly went to over a dollar mm-hmm. to, to all the way to dollar sixty two dollars in a hot hobby. We had competitors. Yeah, know, at the time. Well, we I mean, sure they come up quick, especially then. Especially them, but even going from those first customers, like how do you even decide one, like what products you want to choose, like you want to actually carry on your website, and two, like how much are you gonna spend on advertising, or how much are you gonna spend invest in the business versus like living yourselves? Like how do you decide on those those things? I don't know how many things at that time were were like conscious decisions. It was yeah. just keep going, keep going, whatever's and next. Try and then like spend oh, some more money, like yeah, get get more orders it was all it was always kind of ending to this day it's like oh. <laughs> get more orders i mean there used to be before you you there used to be a little asterisk that would come up every time you get an order so i back then refreshed the page and i'd see yeah. the asterisk and, it, like, yes. and that was when i was printing and fulfilling most <laughs> orders so like it would just make you happy instantly like it wasn't even like how much did we make on that order so we, we got somebody orders. ordered from our site that yeah. i created at 2 a.m in the morning right like, that was enough for a fulfillment for me in a mark zuckerberg damn, moment <laughs> that damn asterisk so no that was all that was fun and cool i don't know that anything was that well like that but i mean i'm going i basically now wrapping up my M, uh, mba so it's like i had had sophisticated business plans and modeling and stats and econ and i had all that right background in MBA. so i think that stuff it gives you a framework to make decisions that you don't have without it necessarily. It's not always that it's you're going to write out a business plan that you already have that framework in your mind working. You, right. you don't feel lost because you've had that. Yeah, because you already had that. So the timeline of your MBA finishing, you say so you started car toys when you're in in the MBA, mm-hmm. and then what did you do when you graduated, or how did you approach that? Well, after graduation? Yeah, yeah. So now we were off and running uh, enough that a, a different job never even occurred to me because we had, so had, we had already had that $14,000 a month. While you were in So I, I had started to think, okay, now that happened so quickly. Like, And we had thought at the time, we're like, if we're selling, you know, 100 cases of factory sealed seal cases of product for a one release now, yeah, and that happened, like, we went from 10 to 100 can we take a hundred to a thousand? And that's where the numbers start to get more intriguing. And it's like, I, so then all it was about, at what point do I quit my job? I have never sent a resume since. Never sent a resume. I always said, if I have to send a resume since I failed and I haven't had to. Well, that, that's been nice <laughs> ever since the MBA. And I have actually, you know, similar ambitions of going with full time after, after my MBA, going full time into my own thing. So that's definitely, you know, nice to know it's, it's possible. And that's what you had done. And the things you learned in the MBA, helped you with that as well um going from there though i just want to think like how did you guys grow then so you had started this in the nba you're going to go full-time into this how did you grow and then also when did clint come on full-time as a partner and when did that happen yeah so it was pretty without uh i mean we had we had product at at mike's house in mike's basement we had product at little caesar's we were receiving product at mike's little caesar's restaurant i was picking up product uh just sports figures just coming to mike's little caesars yeah and we had some deliveries were going to we had in in milwaukee i was picking them up with we took the seats out of the car and it was a you know it was a hatchback car but you took the seats out you get a lot i could get up to a pallet 
um, almost in the car without the seats. So a pallet would come in. If there were two pallets, I'd make two trips. So I could get a pretty much a pallet of product from McFarland, uh, broken down the pallet off of uh, a loading dock in Milwaukee, drive back to the apartment, and uh, one car, one car garage at the apartment, fulfilling orders out of that. Plus the living room was full of product, and uh, then we actually. Um, just even just talking to my mom telling her what we were going through and then she offered to help and offered some space and they had just uh, built a house with a three-car garage and then she came on first as our first full-time employee and she was doing she was doing a little bit of everything fulfilling orders but all the customer service and you know couldn't have done it without her being there for that period because then it all kind of came together we took my product and all the places Mike had product and got into my parents' three-car garage. And it did fit in the three-car garage. We had, finally had all the product in one place versus Mike shipping an order, then me shipping an order. And uh, so then we were shipping out of uh, my parents' three-car garage for um, maybe just about a year. A year. A whole, so a whole year you're shipping out of your parents' garage. Yeah. And then at what point? One Christmas. One Christmas. Yeah. But then you're like, there's just no way we can yeah, do we this were full, again. Yeah, we were full already. And basically within that within that year, we had we had a bigger finance. Like we had an opportunity uh, with McFarland to get in on. It was basically like a Toys R Us exclusive, but they were going to let us smaller accounts add on to the Toys R Us exclusive. And so, but we were we were able to buy up to only a certain amount of product and that was like a $25,000 uh, that was like a $25,000 investment and that was so me and Mike talked that over a lot like how that was going to happen and did we want to order as much as they were uh, allowing us to order you know on top of Toys R Us and we real, we said well we ha- we have to and we did and that was our first big risk but when that product came in we did uh, forty thousand in a day, Jesus. and our merchant account, our merchant account shut us down for fraud because there's like no, no way, way we're, we're, we're that much. going into forty thousand in one day. What were you, what were you thinking? So you're you're gonna spend twenty five thousand dollars for product. What's going through your head? How did you come to the decision that we had to? Like, what are you thinking about then? I wanted to, and we got to the conclusion that we had to to be a player in this market. If you wanted to actually yeah. be a company that did some things, and we wanted to be a, I, I obviously I wanted to be a player in this market, and yeah. uh, ever we've been a player since, and that was where we became a player that moment because everybody else ordered less, sold out, and people were looking all over for this specific product line that all launched at one time. We still have the the pictures of those pallets. It was almost a full full uh, smaller one of the sm- the smaller trucks, but it was yeah. full. So it's like all these pallets were unloading at my at my parents garage so we have still have the pictures of fulfilling all those orders once that product came in was all went out the door and we had all those charges in the merchant account you know on, they held yeah. their money for a while and that was where it was really stressful because they didn't just they didn't release that 40,000 because they have the fraud alert so that's like where the stress of business that's a memory just ingrained in the stress of making those calls and getting antsy with the merchant account like no I have all the tracking I have all the orders like this happened uh, but got through that, and then they, you know, they released that, and that was we had just gained a lot of new customers because the product wasn't anywhere else, and we took the took the risk. So that's where risk, like risk as an entrepreneur, it, it pays to... off, but it versus not being able to take it. So that was, you know, some a calculated risk where we knew 
it wasn't risking it at all. Like we were we were gonna sell some of that yeah, product. Yeah, it's, it's not like it's nothing. We, we knew we were gonna sell, that. yeah, but not necessarily all sold through it basically so quickly. But I mean, prior to that, though, the biggest order you had done was a couple grand, right? Like Five thousand, three thousand. I mean, you said? We, we maybe hit six on an order at, on an order or shipment before right. that twenty-five thousand dollars shipment. So, so that basically catapulted you into one going. Okay, this is definitely what we're going to be doing with this company. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to be a player in this industry. And to that, what connections? I know you have a lot of different relationships you've built and you've put work into growing with different vendors and stuff. What has been your thought process with that? How have you approached that? Because I know, for instance, like McFarland's one company, um, Imports Dragons, another company. Like, what has been your thought process into growing those relationships and how do you approach that? Just curious. Oh, we definitely have have built long relationships in the last fifteen years with some of the same same people involved in the industry, and uh, that's just once like nothing's changed since that moment of that that shipment where like we want to be a player, we're gonna order right all of it that we could, and so like uh, we want to be a player in this industry and nothing's changed. So then the relationships are trying to work that but then we've become you know a champion of the industry we've trying to grow it and we're at a time like when it's hot it's different there's so many people that want the product all that thing like we got through the bubble yeah and survived that yeah and saw everybody else almost to this day every single other all the all the different names of all the competitors that were just web-based only primarily like see most of them go away to where you know we were the only ones besides the big box retailers doing exclusives after exclusive after exclusive and but that takes like being a, a champion of the industry, still loving the product when it's not the hottest thing, and and pushing it and advertising it, but wanting to be in that industry without like we didn't just look for the next thing. So the relationships I've built have been because we've been so steady on we're going to be in this industry selling this type of product, and that's just stayed consistent the whole time. We haven't looked oh this is hot we're gonna we're gonna go there uh, and we've tried plenty of other different things like apparel and stuff that has its own bubble but like there's so the relationships that have come along with it have just been from that consistency yeah it seems like that type of thing too where you mentioned like you guys have known what you're best at in terms of being sports figures and collectibles obviously you've ventured off because of huge things in the market like Funko Pop like some right. other, like some other products yeah. out there and you're taking advantage of that and the, the sweaters as well but it seems like you have had that niche and you've kind of carried it over to be the biggest player in that industry in terms of like an online retailer. Um, but I also want to talk about with that, like other big wins you've had, of course, the last 15 years at Clark Toys. can tell more in depth of the, the glorious moments you've had at Clark Toys in terms of big wins. Take me through a couple of those ones. I know one of those, let's start with the ugly sweaters. We have to go through that. Yeah, that was probably in, in a one-year period the biggest like oh my god kind of moment besides right. that you know you're talking a lot more than that 25,000 and yeah and just the level of uh it just it went viral I mean so they um we had ugly ugly Christmas NFL sweaters yep. were the big thing they had yep. all, yep. all four sports but we were the first to launch that in a newsletter roll that product out and before it was even actual product it was just uh, art mock-ups uh they you know it went viral within days, so it was on every. It was on everything. It was on PTI. It was on. <laughs> it was on Sports Nation. It was on ESPN. It was on everybody's Twitter account. Like, which ugly sweater are you gonna get for Christmas this year? And it just, it just hit the right 
between social and blogs and just Bleacher Report. It was on everything. So, and you know, all linking to our site that had them up for pre-order. And it was just it was just nuts. We had all 32 teams, and then we had all you know at least 15 teams of all the other leagues. But the, all all the football were launched right away in two different styles, and it was big numbers and it was crazy. And I mean to the point where, uh, I mean that that Christmas we had to work. I I went to the warehouse, and my dad helped me and where we worked we worked third shift and all we shipped was sweaters uh, <laughs> from 11 till 9 o'clock in the morning. Jesus, in like 10 hours. Of uh, just packing just, sweaters was, Yeah, on third shift. So my dad worked, like, for a week solid for, from Black Friday, you know, on to when you could ship in time for Christmas. But for that week starting on Black Friday, and, you know, we were, we were moving, you know, nine, ten thousand 10,000 units just on third shift. Jesus. And, you know, th- tens of thousands <laughs> of sw- ugly Christmas sweaters. Yeah. And that was amazing fun to live through just seeing where you just can't even print the orders as fast as they're coming in, you, which is crazy. Yeah, and that type of thing, too, like, as I've heard a little bit about that before, obviously, with the ugly sweaters, and that helped me come on board here, too. But, like, it just makes you think that there are so many good ideas out there that haven't been done yet. Like, the ugly sweaters was just, the year before was not a thing, the ugly sports sweaters. And then it was a thing. And then you're shipping out 10,000, 9,000 orders of a thing that just didn't exist a year prior. Right, How amazing. absolutely nuts is that? And that's that's been our Joe Boo figure too. Joe Boo for the movie Major League, uh, that was, you know, another that we turned into an exclusive product. But that was a 25 year old movie, and that idea is just sitting out there. So we always say, what? There's more. We know it too. Is we know there's other Joe Boos out there, and it's like, what is it though? Yeah, what is that and, idea? And then like the ugly sweaters was one of those. That, like once you see it, you can know. And once I saw Joe Boo, I knew too. So it's nice to be able to. Uh, and there was a lot, even with those things, there's like an, negativity. So when you talk about being an entrepreneur or just just ideas and new ideas in general, so it's like even with Joe Boo, I remember some people like, oh, but the movie's so old, and what do people know what that is? And like, yeah, yeah. people know it. People are gonna love lots it. Lots of people yeah, know what it is. Well, now crazy. we know. Yeah, lots that's, of so know that's been is. a crazy item. And with the ugly sweaters too, like, oh, how people are really gonna spend sixty bucks on a gag gift? Well the gig is they actually were spending up to 120 we were able to mark that's the thing when the supply got down we were going to sell through almost every last sweater we and we took a big another big risk once uh, you know we saw the initial response took another big risk into how, you know how many sweaters are we bringing in now and then you see that week when you ship those you know you have to work third shift to keep up uh so you take you take the risk but then um and there's still those doubt like who's going to spend the 60 bucks but when the supply got down there we were actually able to spend, you know, charge $120 for a sweater that people would buy for Christmas time. So that was a, a crazy ride. But yeah, there's definitely, there's those ideas out there. I know you have them all the time too. Like it's some, it's just a matter of moving on them, but being in a position maybe to move on It's a couple of different things. Yeah. I mean, having, being in the position to move on them and having the timing right to mm. move on it. It's like the, the, the two different huge. things. And it's, you know, that's something we kind of bring up over and over again here at Clark Toys when we've done like different stuff it's like yeah what's relevant what can they actually get to market fast it's just tough because a lot of things it's not instant in the toy mm-hmm. collectible industry but let's talk about the Bartolo take us through that yeah that was another, another the viral second, sensation the second kind of viral moment we lived through was you know a, a Bartolo Colon a 40 plus year old pitcher hits his first home run and then shakes his belly in celebration in the dugout <laughs> and then uh, so we had this this bobblehead with a bobble stomach and 
that went completely viral in a overnight and you were here for that yeah and actually i actually had to leave and go to san francisco i think that that evening it was a friday friday and we were like we're like yeah, we're scrambling Dar- to Darren get stuff Ravel out calls us and we're talking to ES, yeah, and then the article came. Darren Ravel writes an article on ESPN on ESPN.com, and then it, that, and that literally was on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. And then yeah, crazy to see those orders come in at that level when you have a viral product, and to have it for like the second time, and you know, since sweaters be like, oh, things can go, things can go viral, and people order, and it's just a matter of like, okay, well, yeah, what is it that's putting all those people over the edge to order you know or are you just reaching enough people that you getting that many orders because your reach is so great then so it's an interesting kind of kind of thing that you right like you can't you just can't really count on it you don't really know you might believe in the product or whatever but then it's a timing thing i think like yeah you said. yeah and that's always something big and even with that look think about product so you know, I've worked here two and a half-ish years. By the time this launches, I'll be done, then I'm going to get my MBA. But I've always seen you either thinking of new products or new designs for bobbles or figures, and you have, you're very intuitive with what you know. What is that process like for you? Is it like you see something on TV or a moment that happens, you want to capture that? Are you looking at your figures in the office and you're like, we should do that for something else? How, like, what is your process for that? A combination of a lot of things product is important that's why i have so much product around me in the office that makes you think about it you can't leave it it's there and and you never know when it's having all that product around you Uh, but then if you're watching sales really closely even on an order level or just you know looking at analytics daily so you're like wow if that's selling i wonder if that would sell you know like so i have those thoughts like constantly but partly because just so in tune and focused into what we're trying to do here and what like the business that some of that just comes naturally but then you know yeah loving sports uh you know so when you're when we're doing the sports stuff that comes easier because it's because it's sports and i'm already a sports fan and a collector so that that part's a little bit easier um but as far as like the process for it i think it's it's just always working on it like it's It's just it's just a constant thing like what could we do what could we do and you know you see all the all the exclusives we've done some of them some of them my ideas some of them not but like uh yeah it's a it's a constant thing just that doesn't leave you really yeah just always so you're always because you're always thinking about it though that helps you kind of go through the process of thinking of what the next idea is basically Mm -hmm. i mean i've seen all the ideas yeah even if you're working at the warehouse i mean you pick up something you haven't that hasn't moved in a while and you're thinking about the current hot player and something might might click in terms of what you could do. So it's like it doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing as long as you're working on the business. Now, if I have a big side project, that definitely can can take me away from being in that possible moment. I mean, there's definitely uh, maybe a creative tilt you need, or or some of the optimism that oh, what if you know that could be big versus eh, it's probably nothing, and then you don't do anything. It's kind of a a yes man approach, like yeah. versus always saying no, saying well maybe yeah, you know maybe yeah. that could be something, and then then okay maybe that's not right, but what if we did, what if we did this? So we've definitely had some cool stuff that I'm proud of, that you know has originated in in my head, and that's that's fulfilling in and of itself. Right to see it as an act, well especially in this industry because you create an actual physical product. Like I've done so many online things and it's great to have digital products, but they're not like tangible where you could have something on your desk that you helped bring to market. So that's a cool, unique thing to be in. Or to see it sell and see people respond to it. But that goes back to like the H.O. Basham thing, trying to to get that product experience because I 
I just was into like how okay, but how are we gonna how is that gonna get made? Is it gonna get is it gonna turn out the way you intended, etc. And and the the manufacturing process as as well on that. But then it's definitely going see that whole process and then uh, see the product, but then see it sell, yeah. see people respond to it, see people like it, or just comment on some of our exclusives like some of the the good comments is right right to actually see the validation of a product that you help help Mm -hmm. bring to market with whoever partner that may be um i mean with that with other side projects one thing i know we haven't actually talked about in a while i totally forgot about until we actually started talking here was uh the subscription box uh right yeah so that was something we we really we hadn't talked about in quite quite some time and that lasted about a year and we actually had a fair amount of progress on that but when did that idea come to you? When you start, when did you start thinking about that? What was your thought process with that? Obviously, with you just to launch that. But what were you on your end thinking about that? When did that start? Yeah, it it had started through industry conversations at at Toy Fair because of the success that uh, Loot Crate yeah you know, right. had had. Loot Crate I think was the biggest one with right with yeah the, Loot Crate uh, is. And you were here for the launch, so you had started with us uh you were here for that launch before we had actually made much headway and you helped definitely um launch that you saw some of the challenges and uh you know we had tried to expand quickly into the three of the four sports and had a lot of positive reaction and it was but it was a challenge but i mean that's we've been you know like we've launched uh a sports networking site or uh you know a sports social network called sports fan huddle in the past that no longer exists like we've tried lots of different stuff and i think um it's not so much like the those aren't necessarily successes or failures because they just lead to something else or or the the lesson is learned there you know whether that's a technology thing or a, a product thing or whatever so now it's like okay what well what could we have done different or what worked there what product could work and and you know yeah we just pulled the we pulled the plug on it uh just partly with like turning a profit maybe on that specific business and also the logistical and product challenges but we had gotten definitely some momentum and some people really enjoyed it and i don't think that it's not you know be something we'd maybe visit in a different format in the in the future Uh, but there's been lots of things like that i think every you know but yet like clark toys has remained a consistent thing but we've had lots of side things along the years including that that you were here for yeah i mean how do you i guess from knowing you talking to you the last you know few years about these different projects i'm always curious as to one how do you decide what project to pursue because you have the clark toys things and theoretically you could spend more and more time doing more exclusive bobbleheads or try to do some figures whatever but how you decide like okay this thing that's definitely separate from what the main clark toy stuff is are you just like in a good position with clark toys where it's like okay i have a little capacity what else could we do or like how is that decided well i do i do think uh incremental things are easier to possibly have success with so um the subscription boxes at the time you were here in my view were an incremental business opportunity i mean we were here doing this and right here is the possibility to do this. And, you know, we've had other things like uh, you're familiar with the augmented reality game that we tried to get to market and actually, uh, you know, built it. But the technology wasn't changed too quickly for our final launch. And then it the technology hasn't evolved to the point of uh, being able to launch that. And you see, but that was like a leap, you know, we weren't in. That was a leap. We yeah. weren't in the gaming and, you know, 
industry etc so those those i think are a little bit more more difficult but you know the subscription boxes as of right now were not a success but uh i think as to what you're going to try to do i i'm looking for like the next incremental so you tackle that and then now you're touching on well if we're doing this we're closer to something that is two steps away you got to go the one if the one step is within your grasp right you take that now if there's a bigger risk that just seems so great like like the augmented reality thing felt then you maybe go for it because a risk reward thing yeah but Ret- also return could have been big but yeah and what are the what are the, what's the competitive landscape like for that product etc we didn't have much there's been a few and whether even loot crate has done loot sports and whatever i don't i don't know that there was another you know established one out there so that was that's the competitive landscape versus like oh you know, and and like, so definitely that was one we were gonna do. I mean, it was even, uh, you know, it was a business model you liked and talked about a yeah. lot, and I think that one made sense. And then other th- other things are are a little too far out there. And like you had mentioned, Funko Pop being a big thing, even though we were so sports heavy, and that, and the Funko Pop, um, we actually we had carried we carried their product for over over ten years. Um, so like the pop before there was pop, so that just happened so the, the pop <laughs> bubble or the pop market being so vibrant and its own kind of pop culture thing they have the netflix documentary now i mean we were back we were you know part of the story as a small small part as a, a vendor but uh just kind of grown steadily with that with that phenomenon but that's again an incremental thing it wasn't like oh we need to leap we didn't that we weren't on the backside like oh funko pop is the hottest thing around we need to get into that we right. were already we were already there. It wasn't right, so that the door. that's not even uh, so some things that you say what was the, what decision led you to that? No, we were already doing business with that vendor. With that. So yeah. you you were able to ride ride a wave of success. And it, and it seems way. like too like your your willingness to test things has paid off over the years. Um, now whether it be different bobbleheads, different figures, or um, like the big order twenty five thousand dollars, like let's do that, let's go for it. But then also just with Funko Pop, I know testing like oh we'll just carry it and see what happens and then mm-hmm. we'll adjust from there or we'll 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 put it out in a newsletter and see what happens and we'll kind of adjust from there seems like that's helpful uh, that's over. kind of the the yes man mentality if you yeah. say no, if you say no nothing happens if you say yes yeah, something might happen so it goes and back then, to trying to make things like constantly try, kind of trying to constantly uh grow the business make things happen and versus uh let's wait because <laughs> okay. waiting doesn't get you it doesn't yeah. move you forward at all. waiting or no then nothing happens. Like, yeah. Trying something could happen. So it's just siding in that direction. How do you think? So kind of comparing getting granular. How do you think it, your mentality? How has that changed? I mean, this is, seems to be similar from the beginning of like we want to make things happen. But like, how has your mentality changed from early on in the business and what you knew and obviously the excitement of just starting to now? What do you focus on? Because obviously you can't maybe do as much or you don't like. How has that changed for you? Oh, it's definitely different. I mean, just being younger and at that certain age where you're just like aggressive and impatient almost. I would yeah, know, impatient, put myself maybe. that way, like um, maybe overly stressed on some of the small stuff. Now, some of the smaller stuff can roll, uh, you can roll with a little bit better. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's definitely just a, a different mentality. I mean, but yet. I had at one point or another had done everything in the company, whether you know customer service or shipping and 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 any anything. Um, so now it's a matter of yeah, where do you want to 
uh, put your focus and that's a that's a challenge because you gotta just make sure if you're putting your focus here that you're not letting something that because your time start as you have both the the knowledge or the decision making power or whatever then every decision you're making in your time is as big a decision as like are we gonna try this thing or carry this product or whatever now you're you're taking time away from another whether it's a technology type pro project that you know if this isn't working correctly or this could be working better or we could be doing this then if you're taking your time away from that it's, it's so it's it's, it's it's constant decision versus where when you're doing more of us add uh, with a smaller company doing more um you might have either you have more control over the exact what's going on and you might have all the knowledge you need but you know it's it's just different so now you're yeah. just not going to be able to do everything by yourself so you know you have to delegate more you have to figure out what tasks like you specifically should, should be, doing. be yeah and that's can be that, very tricky <laughs> because everybody that's the big difference is like now if you have more employees asking you questions everybody's coming to you with questions and concerns or projects and now those decisions aren't what they used to be uh you know you're like you're constantly bombarded with things you necessarily weren't before yeah i've noticed that i've tried not to but you know it's like to you bring things up you want to like because you have to bring things up but then you also understand that you're working on things constantly as well as the you know as a managing partner of the company it's like yeah you have so many things in your plate and to move the company forward as you always mentioned you have to be doing the things that will move the company forward whether that whatever that may be right and as tough as that is sometimes i put myself like in the position where i need to be working on the new the new thing and the troubleshooting thing and then if something is is like re repeatable that's something you have to test with somebody else if you're doing the same exact thing you can obviously show somebody else how to do that so that becomes more of a you're on uh, the new thing whether that's whatever we want to tackle and you've been through several of yeah, these different projects few different ones. so where it's like we decide we're going to do it and then that has to be like the my focus and i have to just make sure all the repeatable things that to make the business go on a daily basis are being are being done and for the most part you're able to you you can do that um, but then you you, you kind of become in a troubleshooting moving things forward mode so that's definitely different versus just doing everything but that's over that's a growth mode thing too if we're trying to grow we obviously have to be trying to do something different something new technology changes like so as you're into those projects that becomes your your focus versus uh you know, ship shipping or the customer service or the, just the website updates and stuff like right. that. Right, and to that point, as as you've kind of gone along here, um, you know, like I said, it's been like 15 plus years with hiring and with you know bringing more people on board. At what point do you know or do you feel like, oh yeah, we need to hire now or you know getting those first couple employees? Like, how do you know? How's that? What's that process like? For That's you? and kind of a return on investment thing. Yeah. Like, if do we have something that this person uh, bringing on a person can do that is one going to cover that cost or be a, a worthy investment because they're the return you know they're going to be doing something that's going to result in revenue and profit so it's just kind of driven by that versus there's always more to do there's always too much to do if you're if you trying to grow there's always too much to do so it's a matter of is this can this get done by hiring more people is it going to turn into revenue or does it need to be done which you've seen us be part of that too you've seen like this needs to be done a different way. It needs yeah. to be done better. And we brought in people to do that and that you've seen it work. And that's like, yeah, just kind of, it's a, 
Does it have to be done better than it is being done now? Does that mean more people? Does that mean different people? Or does is this going to result? Can we hire this person? Is this going to result in revenue and profit and be a good investment? Well, then, yeah, you hire because otherwise, I'd be, you know, I'd be hiring every day. Well, but right. also, we've also seen it in, in a smaller office here in Vegas that the hiring process wears on you. you know, yeah, it takes time and energy. It, it to takes a lot. It becomes hire its, hiring becomes its own project depending on you know, what position you're hiring for and how many people need to interview, make a decision and hope they take the job. Hopefully they show up for the interview. Like, and you got to see if even just sifting through resumes. So like literally hiring is his own, own project that, you know, isn't going to result in revenue until you hire somebody and they are doing their job. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, back when you started, so when you were kind of starting the business early on and those first few years, I'm just curious and like how much were you working was it like just constant like how did you how did you even approach working on the company then because i i know from my experience there is there's always more you can be doing it seems like and how do you where do you draw the line like how much are you working on it well with that question my memory goes back to h.o basham so still working full-time yeah and uh even let's say done with the mba but still working full-time hadn't quite quit my job yet and uh what I remember we had half day Fridays and I just couldn't wait till Friday afternoon to work on the business mm-hmm. like without you know any any other thing in the way yeah and that's exactly what I'd do I'd go right home onto the computer and, and start and, and do and I'd be tackling something that that hopefully would have grown the business or moved it moved it forward or the things I had to do um so that's that's a memory in that regard of of that but then once I was able to quit my job then I, I dove into, I mean, to the level of, you know, I had a cot in the warehouse and, uh, I, I would spend <laughs> many a night. Um, and it wasn't always, you know, the most productive evenings, not having to leave. Uh, and that's one thing I try to do now is the difficult stuff I try to do in the morning. Yeah. Fresher. Yeah. And clarity. if it's late in the afternoon, I mean, if it has to be done, you're going to stay and do it that night. But for now I try to do the stuff I don't want to do that's difficult, that is troubleshooting, that is takes concentration. I try to do it first thing in the morning. And then the afternoon when you get more fatigued or you just don't have the mental focus, I try to do the things I want to work on. Yeah. And then I can get a little uh, boost of energy working on something I want to work on. passionate about Even though I have have that thing I need to do, then I say, I'm going to do that in the morning and do the difficult, boring, troubleshooting pain in the ass kind of stuff in yeah. the morning and the fun stuff in, in the afternoon. They get a little boost of energy from that, and that's one thing I do now. But back then, uh, by, like, yeah, if I, like, slept in the office kind of thing was um, I would try to – This it was the same thing, the thing I wanted to work on. I mean, there were different – spent plenty of all, all-nighters, like, on, on Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays yeah. at that time when we had first started and didn't have a lot of people – helping necessarily so definitely spent plenty of time just shipping orders but that was one thing that that uh, you know you could do late like you're tired on the computer you could go ship orders if there were orders to ship so done that plenty so it's plenty i mean just you're still you're basically you're still doing something you're just finding what tasks you can do to still be doing something throughout the day even if you're tired or you're like more Mm. fatigued so that's what works for me yeah, it seems like that's that's the type of thing I know of talking to like my best friend Zach who has his own company as well. It's like we're always trying to we're trying to figure out, you know, optimal or what 
our optimal schedule for a day of when to get stuff done because it always seems like there's more to get done but you do have the dips and you do have ups and downs of energy levels and regardless of whether you're working out whether you're like uh eating well sleeping well you still have ups and downs throughout the day of like energy levels so you're always trying to optimize that and figure out when you can get more done i guess but um it is a challenge and that's always like we've talked about that for years literally of the challenge of optimizing every day and Mm -hmm. it, it is it is tough i guess but um what do you think are some of the like challenges you face in a day or like what's most difficult for you when trying to move the company forward i know you're always thinking big picture of okay i want to move the company forward but i guess more so a matter of like what are your challenges like in terms of prioritizing like how how do you do that even everyone has a different process for that but what are you looking at are you looking at like okay this will definitely move us forward this just has to get done is it just going back to what you mentioned with like solving problems that have to be solved or how is that well, I mean, you see me in mean, over the last couple of years with all my yellow notepads. And, yeah. And I mean, lots of people, it comes on the list, but like my day starts with sometimes it's like I look at what I didn't cross off from the day before. I peel that off. Yeah. I, I reshuffle and write down Prioritizing. Thing. I still don't do it digitally. I still use the pad every every day. Similar to that, yeah. I, I So I tear off that sheet and I rewrite down, but in a new order possibly, everything I didn't cross off from the day before. And there's usually one or two that are no question. I have to do these now because I don't want the day to get crazy and these don't get done. Yeah. Or just literally have to. So there's always two to three every single morning, two or three of those things, get those. But what happens sometimes before you even get to two, you get the two to three new ones that have to go that day too. So I immediately get them down on the list. Sometimes that's tearing the sheet off again and just making sure did one of those leapfrog and now that I have six things and I try to, and then it's a matter of, Okay, that I'm not fr- that's wait that's down on the list. I'm not fresh for that anymore. I'll save that to be fresh in the morning and hopefully if nothing else bumps it in the morning, you got your three things before the three other things and it's just kind of a constant rotation and I always have like a second column saying with the bigger picture stuff, like and I have to move some of those forward. I always start at that other column knowing this doesn't have to be done today, but if I don't ever cross anything off from that, the big picture stuff will not get done. We won't launch this or this this thing and you've, you've seen that you've seen it even through like our, our whiteboard and our, our meetings yeah. like you some of that uh that's the priority like it's never you have to be able to do it like some i do think some people struggle prioritizing and i can say at times i do but i would say that my track record at least in terms of keeping the company where we're at and going forward has been that i obviously can find a way to do that even though i struggle at it sometimes everyone does at some yeah. point yeah and i think some people do do it better than others and there's people that do it a lot better than than i do but at least uh, in terms of my focus for the company and the product i'm able to make those calls on a daily basis as well as anybody could in this situation i think because of the product knowledge and experience with the company so it is like old-fashioned notepad priority and i mean uh we were always talking about we've both talked about books but like yeah um the Sam Walton book um, and how he like one of his VPs uh, he specifies in the book was like he's one of those guys that writes down his to-do list and he gets it done at the end of the day I think about that almost every day I don't cross something off I I don't even remember the VP's name but Sam Walton specifically mentioning him in his book what was the name of the book Um, America like uh, 
I don't remember the actual yeah, name. You've of it. read it, but too. yeah. But Sam Walton is the founder of Walmart. For those of you who don't do not know, so the the company that created How Many Billionaires Because of the Kids, that's Sam Walton who founded that. But I don't know something American. I remember that. And I'm yeah, forgetting too. But I I remember that anecdote, and I literally, without a question, think about that every day. I don't cross those items off my list because I think he did. You know, like that guy was able. He would to, do it. He would have got those last two things. So it bugs me. So then. It's a daily process. It's a that's you know more to your point about routines. Like that sounds silly almost. I have even having to talk about it, but it's to your point. Like the fact that I do that every day, it is my routine. Is how some things get done. Yeah, and actually, I've seen you do that, and I've gone back and forth on the digital versus actual paper, and it always is like a matter of. I go back to paper every single time. I still have a to-do list app on my phone. Ultimately go back to a notebook, a notepad, whatever it may be, just so I can cross it off actually physically and see it physically. I don't know what it is about that, but it seems like it helps for some reason. The digital stuff, and, you know, we've even used some of the the tools internally, software for project control or management, and it just seems like the digital stuff always, it gets messy, right? Like, somehow, it's, it's too much work to keep it up. And, yes, the notepads get messy, but sometimes it's like, you can flip the page and know it's there and you get the fresh starts you get that peace of mind like i'm not gonna like it's like you are cleaning it up digitally by flipping the page but you know it's still there and then you start your new list your fresh day or whatever and hey if you need it and sometimes i do but on the digital side you you just it just seems to get messier and i don't know i've always what because it's been a battle that i've finally finally given up on same with my calendar yeah i've given up on the digital tools even with the phone apps and the smartphones and everything and i found that same battle myself and went through it and i've given up so we'll see if if you have you thrown <laughs> up the flag yet is it over uh, i mean i probably i still have the app on my phone the reason it's weird because because it's digital you can just keep adding things easily you can keep deleting things easily but what i find i mean i have so my app i use i think it's um app.any.do i think it's called something like that but uh you know it has items for today tomorrow upcoming and then like future or something it's different categories and what always ends up happening is i have so many that build up into today because they ultimately come back to today and then i have like a a huge amount for the future aspirations of what i want to do so there's like 50 items in that and then my to-do list you know starts with two or three items which is great but then ultimately balloons into like 10 15 and I got to prioritize anyways, so I might as well go back to my sheet. And I still, for the most part, I say 95% of the time I use a sheet. I just use mm-hmm. a piece of paper and kind of go through it that way. It just seems to work easier. But yeah, uh, since, since I've given tough. up on having an app, like if since I have my phone with me all the time, I'll literally, instead of trying to use app or notes, I send my stuff an email. I, I send myself an email, and then that I know that'll get on my list in the morning. And that's and that's worked for me that way, but it is it's yeah. a struggle. Yeah, no, it is a struggle. And... Last thing I kind of want to talk about with with Clark Toys, at least, before we jump into some other kind of uh, things real quick. What is or what's your grand vision for Clark Toys? You know, how has that changed from when you started Clark Toys to now? Like, What would you like it to become? Just just curious about that. I'm still dedicated to the the product and that in mostly in the in the sports area. So, you know, continue to be a player in that in that market, but try to get more product to market. We've been you know part of that a little bit through through the amount of exclusives we've done um but i also want to find ways to be a uh, to grow the hobby be a champion of both bobblehead collecting sports 
sports figure collecting and still grow that hobby because I still love that product so much like even though the market has shrunk and it isn't the hottest product that it once was I'm still dedicated to that product and to sports fans and I know some of my grander vision is some of the stuff you you've been working on where it's uh, you know making sure we it, in order to grow that hobby that we're reaching all those potential clients and that's the most exciting thing is that with some of the technology we're able to finally do that because I think some of the shortfall in the success of some product in the past has just been uh, awareness and reaching some of those uh, sports fans of those teams and in those regions and that's the that's the challenge with sports is that it is so regionalized and that's versus entertainment uh, yeah. so that's why sports has struggled to get some more product to market. Um, but I still like my love of the product. I still see all these exciting ways we can do that. You've seen the investment in both time and money we put in over the last year to two years in, in trying to get to where we want to go. And it, so it still resolve, revolves around that. And we have, you know, a decent amount of, of followers and customers that still appreciate, you know, what we do and the way the way we do it, the way we bring news to the marketplace as well. Um, and on Facebook and Twitter, etc. But they, you know, being a, a news source of of our collectibles uh, that we carry is still of of importance. So I see uh, plenty of ways to still to still grow the company uh, with with that. Even you know, in the typical e commerce area that we're in. But um, and so there is definitely a a grand vision to bring all those the tech the technology the targeting. You know, uh, and the the content that we are with the products uh, to the marketplace, and, and I'm definitely excited about that. Right. Now, I mentioned we're kind of going away from the, the car toy stuff. We're going to talk a little bit more now about kind of the productivity habits, um, dealing with the stress of being an entrepreneur, those types of things. What I want first talk about is how do you step away from Clark toys, or how do you kind of like when you need to get just Get, let your let loose or like get your head away from Clark toys like what are you doing are you like what type well, of stuff you were asking about you know what what's something different now than when I like first started and, yeah and you know we both have read and, and do read a lot of you know uh, business orientated books and so forth and I like one area I've, I've changed is like okay I still want to absorb knowledge I still want to learn I still want to figure things out but instead of necessarily you know, kind of when I first started, the, the books I w uh, would read would be very uh, instructional, even, you know, laugh about it. Some of the books we'd have around the office, like, you know, e-commerce for dummies, like, you really, you really <laughs> had to buy this? Or you already had the, web sure. the website? Just want to make sure. Uh, so, but versus reading the how-tos, then going on to reading about all the other people who have done certain certain things and, and, and uh, different industry stories or, uh, you know, that that being what, what I would read. But now it's like, now I try to read something else almost like so like okay I'm not in versus always trying to be overthink it and always trying to be like oh I got to read this book to do this yeah I just say I'm just gonna read a book now I still don't read nonfiction I still believe there's just too much you know uh, real life real experiences that are just amazing stories and whatever to really like dive into a novel or something but like uh, reading still uh, I'm able to then sometimes bring something back to the company that I didn't expect, but not necessarily reading about business subjects. So I still right. enjoy doing that, uh, you know, versus, and that's changed from where I was like, no, I got to read this book to do this. Now I'm just like, you know, I'm, this subject interests me. And, and then I think you still benefit it from thought process. Like, wow, that's how this works. And then all of a sudden some, you actually do get an idea. So I still enjoy reading 
just maybe in a different way to de- yeah. decompress a little bit more. So yeah, um, so from- yeah, so it just made that's like I don't know that that was a conscious decision, but something I definitely noticed that my habit just changed, and that so that was a way that. I was maybe doing too much within the business and I was able to step away yep. by just changing my reading choices, which right. seems weird. But then you never, I never really shut it off, but, um, because we are, I do still like enjoy sports. So, you know, I still be, and it does relate to the business. So I, it's almost an excuse to just sit and <laughs> absorb a game without checking email. Right. So I, I mean, I definitely am so able to step away that way, but it's a real, it's a real problem. Like it, like I mean, it definitely helps. Uh, you know, that's not a work from home situation where I can come to the office, focus, and I do Step just away. leaving the office already. You know, are able to uh, regenerate and like refresh, and even and just for your mind too. So then it actually helps. Like it doesn't mean I ever not thinking about the business. It just means all of a sudden I'm uh, calm about it and thinking about it a different way and right. stepping away from some of those stresses. Even so, the physical location, a different environment yeah, is helpful. I, mean, that's, I think that's very important. It's like, I think people want to work from home and, you know, and I did that for a period in, in Vegas while we still had the warehouse in Wisconsin. And I think like, it sounds good in theory, but I'm not a strong proponent of it. I yeah, don't believe it. If you have an option not to do it, I suggest it's don't, fun, don't funny you mentioned it. that because I hear about different like online entrepreneurs and stuff and they, oh, they have the freedom and flexibility now. Like, yeah, work from home or whatever. And they're like, a year later, they want an office because it, it's the separation. Much, they much want the office. That. Even even here, um, working on my own stuff, it's like I could just stay. I could have just stayed after you know, which sometimes sometimes I have to work on my own thing. But then all, oftentimes I'll just go to a coffee shop, and it's the same thing. You're at a computer, mm-hmm. but it's a different environment. Right. And it helps. And you. I just read that too. That why why am I more productive when I go to the coffee shop? And and the answer I read was like you know we're still like the shiny new object so you just get stimulated by being in a new environment yeah and i can see i can see that but then like imagine if you're you know you're working from home and never never in a new environment or just not yeah. interacting with enough people um people too yeah, that's yeah another thing. definitely not a not a fan of like the and some companies allow a, a big portion of the workforce to do it and i mean maybe if it's like a uh, you know 20 percent of the time or something sure. or one day a week kind of thing maybe that's okay but overall like i don't yeah i don't believe in it well especially because uh especially a smaller team high touch be able to talk to them right there face to face and hash ideas out seems like it's it's advantageous honestly especially uh, for different companies um yeah they're sure one thing you find the it, distance but... and you see this even with the else like it's just like there's just a human nature like to not pick up the phone versus there you know walk over to someone's desk or or, or guess, like, not say hello if you walk over to the yeah, desk but, i mean like people just don't always pick up pick up the phone when they should yeah um you know they might send the email or whatever and i, I think there's a loss of productivity so yeah, yeah you're more likely to go talk to them quick and walk over there than you are to, like pick up the phone and ask a question that you know oh, whatever i'll just not ask that it seems it seems like it, at least but you mentioned like different books and reading books to kind of unwind and get away and like now you kind of still in the nonfiction, you know route but early on when you're kind of starting a business or just kind of getting interested in entrepreneurship what were some of those books? Obviously, we talked about Sam Walton, and the book was Made in America. I thought that's what Made in America, yeah. Guys, it tipped my tongue. I, I was like, I think I was stuck as a Make America Great Again. Yeah, no, that is not that's it. definitely that not Sam Walton's book. So, okay, but yeah, yes. so what other books Made in America. did you have, or did you read back then, or were impactful for you? So back to our way earlier conversation on the MBA. While I was getting my MBA, by chance, I was reading the book Thinking Girl Rich, and I don't remember how that book was suggested to me or whatever but I was reading the book Thinking Grow Rich and you've read it as well yeah right? multiple times actually now yeah and it so while I was reading that I 
was on a trip to uh, Newport, Rhode Island, and the, the, all the mansions out there that you can tour that they've restored, and they were all like pre-income tax mansions. So like Jesus. actually, once income tax was uh, federal income tax was put in place, uh, many of those families couldn't afford those houses anymore. <laughs> but this is Jeez. the same. These houses were the same people in the book, and this is by pure chance. I didn't even know necessarily we were gonna go tour these houses. So you're reading about Andrew Carnegie and and the, everybody in that book. Yeah. And uh, the Vanderbilts and and then you're really in their house that they lived in while that doing was their those life. things. And and uh, like it was never about money. It was more like you know these people were changing the world and living in these houses. And at this time, without the technology, I mean, even just those those places are incredible to tour if you have the chance. But then it was a surreal thing to having been right in the middle of that book reading about the same men who lived in those houses and that was a definitely a turning point for like I just got focused on wanting to do something that would make more money than a job yeah that I not think limited that, that's by a job not limited right. by a job yeah. and I mean, one of the things in that book that I still think about almost daily, more every morning they said like write a number I think is and you've read it so yeah. correct me wrong it's like write a write, num- write a number down yep and think about that number every day and I never I never did that but I I had an uh, you know, idea of a size of a company I wanted in my head and we're not there yet and I still think about it every morning like when I'm brushing my teeth look in the mirror because of that book yeah. and it just that sometimes impactful. keeps me going like you we're not there yet we're not there yet we're not there yet and it keeps you like every day and that's still in my head from that book from before I had, we had started the company and that is for sure and then there was like uh, a, another common one rich dad poor dad yep you've read that, I've read as, that well. as well yeah I think audio book uh, I listened to yeah uh, read that around the same time so I think those just kind of and definitely without a doubt especially being in retail the Made in America book yeah by Sam Walton yeah absolutely and, and the Sam Walton was just the the grit of that book is yeah. is what got and it's like I almost because goosebumps thinking about it. it. It's like the grit is what made it seem possible. Yeah. Because it wasn't like I have to, I don't have to be uh, Zuckerberg smart. Yeah. I don't have to right. be able to code. Because we're not gonna be like that's right. a whole other thing. You, right. That's a whole other thing. You can be like I can work hard and work I'll work the guy from across the street with the other store that you know what all the different stories yeah. stories in there and his leases and all that stuff. The grit of that book made me believe it was possible because I had already worked really hard in school and done the yeah. long done the long days. So I really believed I wasn't scared of like oh, this is going to be too much work. I was like I can do it cuz I can I can work. And I you know did like that you asked like how much were we working back then but that that book like I knew that gave me the confidence that I right. can work hard enough to do it. I didn't need something extra beside that you know ordinary besides that. Yeah. That's proven to be okay like that's worked for me in a, in a way and then just thinking about things differently was those other those other books at that at that time and uh i don't know then since since i've you know continued to read those type of books like yeah I maybe recently moved on some a few other books then i know i talked about um we talked about how some books are more just like inspirational from a like holy crap the type of stuff they've done like accidental billionaires is the yeah, facebook story right. uh well that was based off of uh the movie social network was based on accidental billionaires and i've read, read that as well yeah it's and another one of those different time in the company but it also had an effect i know that that book and movie had an effect on on your thought oh, for process sure. right for sure and for me are already having a company uh that 
you know, had employees and everything, but watching those movies and reading that book was a whole nother level for me. I think that almost in some ways that movie was so mass, like entrepreneurism yeah. took an extra step in becoming a mass thing. Like I think everybody it did, wants to do stuff like don't steal my idea. Like, oh, we're going to do something. <laughs> we're going to do something. It's called big. a million, dollar, a yeah. billion dollars. <laughs> but that movie, that movie definitely had an effect on me as yeah. well. What other movies or documentaries with other ones? Oh, well, we've talked about this where that, uh, things end badly yeah <laughs> but <laughs> yes for some this. reason these movies and this goes back to wall street which everybody wanted to get into wall street jobs after the first wall street movie sure. like you do know it ends in prison right like, like oh, both oh. of them i think so like okay. there's lots of movies that end bad that are still motivating for me one at the time uh and i've since read read the book about it too but the movie blow yep. with johnny depp and just like you know he starts before the cocaine thing is the marijuana thing but like they yeah. they fill they get that rv and fill it and drive across the country and just like the amount of money they're making crazy it was just, just like gets you motivated for some reason you know why we're not, yeah we're not gonna become a drug dealer but it's like, like an entrepreneur thing or just we just like see that we're like oh that's but it's a business idea because yeah, they're crushing right it. they're like we're gonna do this and then like no and then you know it's like he's they're counting the shoebox he's like just weigh it like don't count it just weigh it and he's like we're gonna need a bigger boat and there's just money everywhere and, and but but in those stories is start of the over maybe over dramatized something but yeah, there's right. businesses started and grown and like obviously they crash and burst so it becomes a bigger story but if those those movies are some of the only like not there's tons of books but yeah. some of those great movies are like the visual experience of starting from there it's always the start from nothing and yep. um another one like uh and enron the smartest guys in the room that's yeah. a documentary but yeah. that's still like would get me pumped even though they're doing some really shady things in the middle but you know there's le- yeah, right. lots of lessons in there but another one yeah besides like wall, wall street and those all all don't end well the same like so being in business living through the mortgage crisis in 2008 and then reading uh, uh the big short yeah and uh flash boys which is actually about the uh high frequency trading and yep. that's interesting but some of those things like when you realize even when things are skirting the line as to is that legal or not or even when they like the high frequency trading one thing when you read about the level and that's what's intriguing about those stories is the level of commitment that these people went to yeah and in to become a story to and, make it a reality yeah and again for some reason that like in a in a twisted way like that gets you pumped that you want to do that too or it just gets you pumped to work like, well to work to work exactly and the thing is like it just makes it so it's real and it's possible and even all these different stories like i think of the movie as well wolf of wall street they still put in work to make this happen right. like regardless of what shady shit yeah, they it did can happen faster if you do illegal stuff right but, right yeah, but they still, still put the work in to make these things happen and like yeah obviously we're not saying like yeah let's do illegal stuff and like whatever but at the same time inspirational motivational from a perspective of people trying ideas and trying to make things happen and yeah, there's just so many different ideas out there, honestly. I mean, geez, I even think I was telling you about a book, um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Russia, about these Russian oligarchs and their ideas for different companies. And then you have Putin, Vladimir Putin, just like shutting them down basically and saying, look, I, I will run the government side of this. Don't get into politics. You guys can have your billions, but don't step foot in here. And then, you know, people get killed. And that is real, though. It's crazy. It's crazy. It I is crazy. You were saying that's by... Um, ben Meserick. Same as Accidental Billionaires. Yeah, same so, author. Yeah, so anyone, if, if you've liked Accidental Billionaires, Ben Meserick writes in that style, and he even wrote another book. He wrote, the, he wrote the book that was the basis for 21, the movie, and then also another one about these guys who started a 
I want to say it was online poker company and that was another similar type of story where just like they have an idea and they make this company and then all shit hits the fan let's just say mm-hmm. after that but yeah there's a lot of different stuff with that war, war dogs is my new yeah favorite. uh and again ends ends poorly yeah well sort of but i don't know and i've read that, that poorly, read but poorly. The, that book basically too but and I always joke the the line in there that makes me kind of laugh that I've repeated many times. You've heard me say it, but uh, where they're like they have to drive through Kuwait, I think. Yeah. Right. Some kind. Yeah. Um, Middle East somewhere. Yeah. So they have to like, drive drive through it, and yeah. he's like, "We'll be there in a day." He's like, "We're gun runners. Let's run some fucking guns." <laughs> exactly. And so my big thing is, and you've heard me say it, it's like, "We're toy runners. Let's run some fucking." Toys. You're right. Like that's what we do. That's all right. So I just let's love get that. Group. Like thought brought sometimes like yeah just simple it kind of yeah. resonates with resonates, in terms of what yeah. they're saying so those stories do have a yeah impact. no i completely understand that um last thing we're just gonna leave off with here any advice for like young aspiring entrepreneurs or young ambitious people aren't quite sure or they're kind of thinking about starting a business anything you would say to them i mean just some of it would be the the cliche things that are true but you just can't you can't listen to the negativity uh it's it's just like i don't know what the human nature aspect of that is but you know when you bounce something off somebody and they it seems like the majority of people are going to tilt negative even to this day even after movies like the social network where like it's a mass thing no this could become something you still like you have doubters and you can let them feel you but just don't listen yeah. and you know the the risk side but like just not over worrying about like having faith that it's going to work out but also trusting trusting yourself don't always like you have something you're passionate about and you have an idea don't necessarily uh listen to your friend's idea and jump in on that may follow your own idea not that you can't jump in with your friend's idea but like follow your own idea and trust your trust yourself that you're and you know especially if you're if you're capable but like just believe in it don't don't keep questioning or think that other people know more than you that's the other thing i mean just as you get older like the other i mean yeah i respect your elders and whatever Mm. but like you have almost a illusion of like that they have this grander thing that you might not have but if you're young like and you have the energy use it too if you're young have the energy while you can use it because it doesn't it just doesn't (laughs) last at the same level yeah and you just can't do it again so like if you're young and have something you want to accomplish run with it now while you have that energy you will not always have that energy and why if you're passionate about it about it trust it you know stick believe in yourself to just trust it and and then be willing to do the grit part dude you got to be willing to do the work yeah and it reminds me of steve jobs quote you know something around along the lines of like the world was created by people no smarter than you you know yeah, so, exactly. so like go go out and just make exactly. things happen that's, that's and that's one is. thing yeah like i was more in, intimidated at that age than i maybe needed to be but that intimidation kept me on edge and and so it's it's not necessarily a bad thing but don't let it overwhelm you into non-movement like yeah. go push forward believe in yourself don't get over and, and there's there's always a way i mean some things <laughs> some things have seemed too big too big to overcome but there's always a solution you gotta step back be patient but be thinking and sometimes like you talk about decompressing sometimes it's literally been i'm gonna think about this overnight and then like just at you know nine o'clock ten o'clock night all of a sudden like I've literally been thinking about it. The wheels have been turning in the back of my head, and like, I can do this in the morning. I, you know, you execute that, and you're fresh. And there's a solution. Don't let those little things, you know, be bigger than they have to be. 
and yeah don't don't let them the negativity is a big one because yeah. you still you get it at every level and it's just yeah can't can't let it <laughs> not don't like it too no well Travis, thank you appreciate the time uh guys check out clarktoys.com that is the main site you can find everything also on social media clark toys at clark toys and thank you for listening i right, appreciate it. it was fun justin thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of just go grind with travis pyan I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. I really had a lot of fun with this one. So many things to talk about with Travis, and we can always go back and forth on different ideas, entrepreneurial and etc. You can find the show notes over at justgogrind.com slash podcasts and also support the show for as little as a dollar per month at patreon.com slash justgogrind. Also in iTunes, please, please, please leave a rating and review. It does help more people find the show and listen to the show and in the end help more people again thank you so much for listening i'm really enjoying doing this podcasting thing and i if you if you like the episode one rating review as i mentioned but also share the episode with someone that you think would enjoy it have a great day i will talk to you in the next episode bye